Hi, Tammy, and welcome to the Femprinter podcast. I'm really excited to get to know you and help you share your inspiring Femprinter story with our audience today. Tell us about your business and how long you've had your business. Great. Thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate the invite. So I've been looking forward to this. It's going to be a great conversation today. Um, so my business is called the Career Winner Circle. Um, I'm the CEO and founder. We're a coaching and executive leadership development company. So we focus on um, helping anyone who hates Mondays and is stuck in that soul crushing grind, get out of it. So whether you're an entrepreneur and have fallen out of love of your business, uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are a victim of their own success that really need help unwinding and uh, and getting back on track with their business or if you're in the corporate space. So for me, I spent 20 years as an executive on Wall Street um, and then cashed out, moved to a tropical island in Central America and started this coaching business about six years ago. Right. And you said you are in Mexico City? We are now. Yes. We spent five years. I was in Manhattan, Wall Street girl. And... Um, Five years of island life was amazing. We went scuba diving a couple times a week, you know, sandy toes every day. It was great. Um, but as a New Yorker, I was really missing the big city life. So last year we went country shopping and we looked at Medellin, Colombia and Panama City and a couple of other really cool places. And as soon as we got to Mexico City, I was like, boom, we are home. This is it. And uh, so we made the move earlier this year. Wow, that's so exciting. So what is it about Mexico City that was just like 100% deal breaker? You loved it. All of the things, right? Um, I love the things big cities have to offer in terms of culture and arts and the food scene and just all the things. But I hate the stress of American big cities, right? It was, New York was like really stressful. And so I thought Mexico City is a 22 million person city. Um, so I thought it was going to be too big. I thought it was going to be too stressful, too fast after living, you know, boho life for five years. Um, like, I don't know if I want to go all the way back in. And as soon as we got here, it had all the big city perks with a very Latin low key vibe. And I was like, ah, this is the best of both worlds. So, yeah. 22 million people. Holy smokes. Massive. Yeah. So um, obviously, like every urban dweller, you stay within your 10 block radius for the most part. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, enjoy the, uh, you know, the extra credit activities that go on once, uh, you know, once you get out of the, out of the neighborhood. Right, right. All right. So I want to hear about how you encourage entrepreneurs and organization leaders to break the rules. What are some of those rules that they, um, I guess, need help with breaking and how do they, how, do, how does that benefit them? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I grew up as a rule breaker, right? I always believed that the rules apply to everyone else and that continued throughout my career. And what I found in corporate and as I'm finding, you know, as we're serving entrepreneurs and small business owners are there are these things that get us stuck and keep us stuck. And the reason we do that is because we think that that's just how things are and we don't even know to challenge it. And so when you start to deconstruct some of the things that really hold us back from reaching our fullest potential and to really stepping into that thriving career that we all want and deserve, um, I think one of the biggest challenges, and this is for business owners and for corporate people, is that we don't treat our careers as a business. And when you step into that space as the CEO of You Inc., um, and you start to make career decisions as if it were a business with profit and loss and strategy and metrics and all the other things you do to run it. Now, all of a sudden, you start showing up differently. 
and you start making different and better decisions for yourself and for the companies that you work with. And a lot of entrepreneurs have not stepped into that CEO space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like it's a side hustle that is gaining momentum or it's a passion project that you're a servant to. Right. So a lot of us are in servant leadership, um, but you don't really look at it as a business. And so because of that, you don't play big. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's one of the biggest rules that people need to learn how to break is that, you know, you are in total control over your career, what you do, when you do it, how you do it. And being able to have that level of command and control over what happens in your livelihood, which has such a huge impact on your whole life satisfaction. Um, it turns out to be a game changer for a lot of people. Um, Another thing that I see that people get stuck in in terms of these rules is that it's too late for me, right? I, you know, I make too much money. I'm too old. Um, You know, my skills, they're not going to transfer to someplace else different or I'm too old to start a business. And we get stuck in this mindset that, you know, we're on our track and we're on our track and that's it. And that's where people really start to fall into that soul crushing grind. And one of the biggest ways to flip that, especially when you're in the mid to to senior part of your career, is when you stop showing up and being paid for what you do, and you start to be paid for what you know, everything changes. Because now you're the Yoda, right? Now you are the guide. Um, And so it's so much fun helping both entrepreneurs as well as corporate people make that transition and start to thrive again. I think that's what I love most about being in my 40s is, is is it just gets easier and easier to be an entrepreneur because like you said, it's about what you know and you just naturally know so much more in your 40s and 50s and, you know, I'm sure forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when I was looking at your LinkedIn, I think I saw a book. You did see a book. Tell us about yes. that. Oh my goodness. Like delivering a 10 pound baby every day, right? So, um... <laughs> So the book is done. It's at the printer. It is going to be available for purchase on January 16th. Um, It is. Thank you. It is called Escaping the Career Trap. Transform your apathy into ambition and love every Monday again. And it really is a four part guide to helping people navigate the dysfunction of the environment that we're in aligned to what's really, really important, which is the things that light you up instead of trying to fit someplace else thrive or disrupt rather by breaking all those rules that we were talking a little bit about and then thrive by being able to pay that forward. And, um, you know, it's, you know, really designed for people who get that pit in their stomach on Sunday night. And they're like, oh, I just can't do this another minute, but I kind of have to do this for a lot more minutes, um, you know, for adulting purposes. Yeah. And it really gets you out of your head and into action so you can start to take that control that you need um, to make the decisions that are right for you and have that career that you're excited about that serves you. Um, and so, yes, thank you for asking. Always a shameless plug on that. Uh, but that's going to be available and you're going to see tons on it um, after the holidays start to kick in. Right on. Awesome. And what is your website, Tammy? Our website is careercornercircle.com. So you can find us and our coaches. We've got seven amazing coaches uh, that support our clients in addition to myself, Um, you know, and lots of resources and things like that as well. Right. Awesome. I want to get into more of your story. Um, I want to know more about you kind of developing yourself as a leader. What kind of strong leaders did you see growing up that you have sort of, um, I guess, 
learned how to become as you've you know grown up like you said and become an adult and done the adulting thing tell us about just you know childhood tammy and the the lessons you learned about leadership at a young age yeah um i didn't learn a lot of leadership skills at a young age actually so um grew up in a very small town in northern new jersey right outside of new york city more cows than people. Um, you know, my mom was a stay at home. My dad had his own business and everything was hunky dory, you know, middle class, normal life. Until one day my dad left and about a month later we were homeless. And so at 15 years old, um, my mom had to support my sister and myself. We had no place to live because he hadn't been paying the mortgage. Um, and so yeah, things got really, really wonky really fast. And so I, I came from a long line of blue collar workers. And so, you know, with all of this going on at the age of 15, you know, it was a massive reset for me. I saw what my mom went through and I saw how much stress she went through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked at that and I'm like, I never want that to be me. And so, you know, as a junior in high school and I was quite unmotivated, to be honest with you. My grades weren't good. I wasn't very motivated, so I didn't go to college. I started working right out of high school and figured, oh, a couple years, I'll get my act together, figure out what I want to do, and then I'll go back. But then I kept getting promoted, and I kept getting more responsibility. And so while as, you know, childhood Tammy, you know, really didn't have a lot of that leadership exposure, no one ever went to college, no one ever really had a, you know, blue or white-collar job, um, you know, early worker, you know, early Tammy had amazing mentors. And I had the benefit of some just phenomenal leaders that saw things in me that I didn't see. You know, I didn't go to college. I wasn't well-traveled. I had no idea what I was doing. Like every day was a wing it, fake it till you make it situation. And but I think the one thing that I had naturally is I was fearless because I literally had nothing to lose. And, you know, there was no expectations. There was no, you know, parents saying, hey, I paid for your Ivy League school. You better produce. Like everything was a crapshoot. And so with that benefit of really having some strong mentors that saw my capabilities, but let's face it, you know, took advantage, you know, to my, my you know, my benefit as well of just high ambition, no fear. And you're not afraid to ask the questions and, and fail and, and start over again. Um, you know, so that my, you know, my leadership experience, my background has really been steeped in amazing mentors that put me in situations where I'm over my skis, um, you know, where I'm like, okay, I don't know why you think I can do this, but let's give it a try. And then over time you learn and you find your authentic path. Um, and I think because I came through the ranks differently and I hid that for a long time. Like, you know, I would never lied on an application. Like HR knew I never had a degree. But I didn't let anybody else know that. I was mortified, you know, and I didn't let anybody else know that I never passed forward. I hadn't traveled the world before I was 20. Like I didn't do any of those things. And so I really, especially on Wall Street, you know, because that's where I, I spent my career. That's really the stuff I held close to, to the vest because I didn't want anyone to know. But it took me a few decades to realize that because I was different, that was my competitive advantage. 
And so all the things that I had been trying to hide, if I had actually known this earlier and used that, you know, to play to my strengths, um, you know, things would have turned out, you know, even more differently. You know, ultimately I ended up, you know, as a C-suite executive on Wall Street, managing 2,000 people over 36 countries, healing, you know, dealing with some major, you know, financial services always has a crisis. So, you know, we were transformation, turnaround, all those fun things in terms of high stakes, high drama, which I loved. Um, but that is my leadership journey. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> what a story. Oh my gosh. Can't make it up, you know? So, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, what, um, when you're working with your clients, what is it about leadership that you feel like a lot of people just don't get and that you find yourself saying over and over again or teaching over and over again when it comes to leadership? Um, I think with high and highly ambitious people, you know, um, they hold themselves to a standard that's higher than anybody else will hold them to. But then you end up feeling like trapped by that. And you've got all these expectations that you've set for yourself and no one else is expecting that from you, but you're killing yourself trying to make this happen. And so I think one of the biggest things I tend to tell my clients is if you make the rules, you can change the rules. And it's okay to say, okay, you know, I shot really high, but I'm killing myself here and it's not working and I need a bit of a break or, you know, good enough is good enough. And it's, it's that inner leadership. It's that inner work. Um, you know, everybody's got blind spots and areas that they need to show up differently in for their teams and to be more effective for their businesses. Um, but I think it's that self-leadership piece that those high ambition people, that's where they get stuck. And they're making themselves miserable. They're driving themselves crazy on things that actually, when they set the goal a couple of years ago, was a good idea, but they've not reevaluated the goalposts. And it's like, has your definition of success changed? And do you want different things out of life? Because we all have seasonality in our careers. Mm -hmm. And if you just set the goal once and just keep going, by the time you look up, you're going to realize you're really on the wrong race. And so I think it's that constant check-in of what's working, what's not working, having that experimental mindset instead of, and, you know, being riff forever on our relationship with success and failure. But I think a lot of my clients um, have a view that they're opposite, right? Success is the opposite of failure. And actually that's not true. Success is a part of failure. You cannot succeed without failing. And so if you avoid failure, you're avoiding success. So taking that experimental mindset and kind of thinking about what does this button do? What happens if I push this? Because nothing is a pure success and nothing is a pure failure. It's all the narrative that you wrap around these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so getting people to start to take more of those risks, getting people to take that, you know, experimental mindset, putting some perspective on things. Things that people are so stressed right now, right? And it's just like every time you turn around, there's like something horrible happening in the world. And, you know, it's really hard not to get sucked into just the, the stress and, and the pace. But the reality is most of us are not curing cancer or saving lives for our jobs. But yet we treat it like we're in these life and death situations. It's like you need to just relax a bit. And it's okay. Like it'll still be there tomorrow. And um, so I think it's these really ambitious high achievers that are the ones that you know, need the most guidance in terms of how do I get myself to a place where um, I'm in harmony? You know, I, you know, it was interesting because um, one of my coaches and I were having a conversation. She was reading, I forget from where, but not about life balance because it's part, it's never balanced, right? There's always, you know, one side of the pendulum that changes, um, but having that harmony to where it's all complementary. 
and there's some give and get. And so that's really where we spend most of our time working with clients and helping them get the best out of themselves. Do you have structure around how often you're reevaluating the goalposts? Like, is it a quarterly thing for you? Is it an annual thing for you? Do, have you kind of built some sort of structure around that? I have. Um, and I think everybody's a little bit different. But for me, I don't think it makes any sense to anything longer than five years. Um, right. Just the dynamics are changing. The landscapes are changing. But to have an idea where you want to head. Like I knew when I started this business, you know, six years ago, that I didn't want this to be a commercially viable side hustle. Like I didn't want it to be, I'm going to pick up a few clients and that's it. Cause I still really love the work. I just really hated Wall Street. And so um, I just wanted to build a proper company and, you know, and so that was like my yeah, five years down the road. Um, but yet, okay. So this, you know, this quarter I need to get a client, <laughs> right? This quarter I need to figure out actually what a mailing list is or a sales funnel or, you know, all the things that I had no idea when I started, um, you know, so for me, I've got, you know, the five-year plan. That's just a bit squishy. Um, you know, I've got my year plan that's financial backed up with pipeline and all that kind of fun stuff. So we do that for, um, you know, for the financials, but then I also find it very helpful, um, to be able to think through where I want to grow. Um, cause it's easy when she gets to this point, it's like, I don't need to grow anymore. You know, it's like, I could just do the things that are comfortable. I love to put myself in situations where I'm over my skis out of my depth and I'm growing. And so I usually pick one or two things a year, um, for me to do that as well. Like the book is the, you know, is, is next year's fun thing that I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. <laughs> Great. So tell us more of the story about that big transition that you uh, you went through when you were like, hey, Wall Street phase over. Business owner me has kicked into full gear. Like, how did that go down? Like, what were the steps you took to get your own yeah, business? It was a hot mess, right? So um, I think all good stories are. And um, so I had, my career was fueled, you know, based on what I experienced when I was a teenager. Um, I think by equal amounts of ambition and fear. <laughs> I was like, I did not want to be like my mom. So I really doubled down on the ambition and the risk taking. And so it was very important to me to get into that C-suite. And I busted my ass to get there. You know, I just did. Um, you know, typically the only female at the leadership table, usually the youngest, although those days were over, you know, about 10 years before I before I cashed out, um, you know, and just the always the underdog, always the one that didn't fit. And so I worked really, really hard to get to where I wanted to be. And I loved the influence. I loved the power. I loved the impact, you know, all of the things that, I mean, work was not work for me. And I was one of those, you know, crazy people that worked, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. My husband was a stay at home dad, much better stay at home dad than I would have been. Right. So like, thank you for that. And, um, you know, and it was just all that my life was about, you know, it was that and family, very little else, little travel. Um, and then I started to fall out of love with what I was doing, you know, and that probably happened about 10 years before I finally pulled the plug. Um, like I, it was just, it's just started to feel like the same crap, different acronym, same crap, different company. I'm like, Oh, this is like, there's nothing new. And with these big banks, it's like, it's not too big to fail. It's too big to fix. And, um, and I just got tired of not mattering. And so I started to make some pivots into some smaller companies so I could feel like I was making a big impact again. Um, and that bought me some time. Like I really leaned into the work and the people and the development. And I love that. But I remember I went back into big corporate 
And I remember um, we had our quarterly earnings report. You know, we missed earnings again. And we and all the executives were in the conference room and we got our clocks cleaned by the, you know, by the analysts. I mean, we, should, we deserved it. I mean, it was a big miss again. And so it was just again and again. And so the door opens, our leader comes in and just everything starts to go crazy, you know, screaming, yelling, cage match, blaming people, all this stuff. And this was normal. Like we would do this every quarter. It was actually kind of fun. But I remember being in this situation and kind of feeling like, you know, those movies where you have that out-of-body experience where you're hovering over the room, but you're not really there. That felt like, that's what I felt like. Because I just got immediately hit by this giant case of, I don't care about any of this anymore. And, um, and that was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, you know, I knew that when I finally could not find anything else to be passionate about, whether it was the people, the work or the impact, I'm like, it was time to go. And for me, the timing was great. My daughter was graduating college, so she was off the payroll. My big fancy apartment in New York was coming due in terms of the lease. So I was just like, you know, I think it's time to try something new. Um, I don't like doing things small. I don't I don't play small. That's just not in my nature. So I'm like, all right, what country are you going to live in now? And uh, And that's when Belize hit our radar. But making that transition and leaving, it was interesting because most of the people um, that were my peers and friends and colleagues asked me, why are you giving up? And that was interesting to me. That's a good mindset, right? In terms of, you know, financial services and people who are so career focused, it's like you are finally where everybody aspires to be. Why are you giving up? And then there was a small group of people that said, I wish I could do what you did, right? Was, so it was really interesting. But then making that shift to entrepreneur was a disaster. Um, you know, going from, you know, running from 12 hours of meetings and lines out my door and 700 emails a day and all that adrenaline to having no one even know that I was around or care. Like, it was, just, it was weird. And uh, fortunately, my partner, Steve, you know, he's been had his own business for 20 years. And so he's talked me off the ledge many, many times. Um, now we're over that pump. And I'm, you know, I think through the, the hardest part in terms of making that transition. But realizing that my identity was no longer what I did for a living. Because when you leave the U.S., and I'm sure you might see this too, um, what you do doesn't necessarily equate to who you are. And, you know, on Wall Street, that was the first thing you asked is what's your title? Who, who do you work for? And what do you do? Um, because then you're putting people in a pecking order. Right. And you get a sense of what they're about. Um, and so you move to a place where no one cares. It's like, OK, whatever. Are you a good human being? <laughs> what are your hobbies? What are your interests? I'm like, do what I think and travel. That's kind of it. And so it was a really interesting shift to change my sense of self-worth. Um, into a more balanced view of, yeah, I'm a budding entrepreneur, hoping I don't have to go back and get a real job because I really don't want to have to do that. Um, and I'm trying to figure life out, you know, as a, you know, as, as a nomad. And so the, the transition was significant. It was full of lots of mistakes, a few wins along the way. And before long, you start to get some more wins under your belt and losses and feel like, okay, now I think I got it. Okay. So take us back to 10 years ago. Um, 10 year ago, Tammy, what would you tell her, your 10 year younger self? Oh my goodness. Um, I would tell her to probably the same things I tell my clients all the time now, right? It's easier to coach yourself than it is anybody else. And you know, the, the biggest thing I would have told myself is to diversify my interests um, outside of work, um, to realize that all the things that I did were not life or death. Um, you know, there's a lot of time that I spent 
weekends, nights, holidays, you know, that feeling that it was important and it was critical and it wasn't. <laughs> Just, you know, it could have waited, but you're in the moment and you want to be that strong leader and you want to, you know, lead by example and all of those things. At the end of the day, leading by example would have been to force everybody to take vacation and unplug. Um, you know, would have been what I would have told 10 years ago, Tammy. It's just, you can do both. You can be a high impact leader and not drive yourself into the ground, right? You can be human and, and get to know the team that, that report, you know, work with you. And you can still set boundaries and accountability. And I had more of a binary view in terms of what leadership was about and how hard you're supposed to work and all of those things. And, you know, obviously with the, the benefit of hindsight, um, I think I could have been even more effective had I switched things up a little bit. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is possible, but I'm hoping you can share with us a bit of a client success story and kind of maybe just take us through that first month of working with this client and where they were and where they wanted to go and some of the steps that you um, walked them through. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. I mean, only one. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, hang on, who am I going to pick? Um, you know, I'll, I'll share a theme and then I'll dig into, uh, you know, a real story in terms of, you know, real results and, and things like that. But we have a lot of mid to senior level leaders that come to us um, looking to make a pivot. But they can't sell everything and live in a year and become a barista. It's not possible, right? I got houses and ex-spouses and kids in college and all these things. And so we backed ourselves into, you know, the Golden Handcuffs, which is actually on, on the cover of, of my book. Um, and they just feel it's too late. And so the journey starts with that unwinding of getting rid of that. It's not too late. You're not too expensive. You're not too old. You're not too this. You're not too anything. And helping clients kind of find what lights them up. Because no one spends time thinking about that. And when you think about, okay, what do I want to do? A lot of people have that. I, I know I don't know what I want to do. I know I don't want this. Don't know what I do want. And, you know, 40 plus, that's, there's a little shame that goes along with that. So it's unpacking that mess of no one knows what they want to do. And so don't worry about it. You don't have a chance to think about it. And now you have the luxury of choice. And so get, getting people comfortable with that, I think, and getting my one client comfortable with that was important. Um, you know, she ended up taking about, I would say a little, about a year and a half to completely unwind from the organization she was in. She was very early stages within this organization. Um, it was, I mean, I don't mean to say it, not literally, but it was very cult-like in terms of the culture. Like you were in, you were all in, like, you know, it was like what most companies aspire to, like not the creepy part of the cult, but like people actually care and about the brand, about the clients, about each other and all those things. And so, um, and so unwinding and uncoupling as a leader saying, I don't want to leave these guys high and dry. I want to make sure that they are in good stead before I leave. I want to make sure that I'm in good stead before I leave in terms of exit packages and, you know, options and things like that. And so it takes a little while to a figure out what's going to light you up, because most of the time what you've done for your career is not what you enjoy. That's what you're good at. And they're different. So like when you start to unpack what are the things that you could do for 12 hours a day and not get tired, that's the stuff that you love. And there's probably only one or two things that actually fall into those categories. And so if you can construct a career that has the majority of things that are in those buckets, now all of a sudden it's like, it's not work. This is fun. And, you know, so by getting people through that, you know, that transition, that period of self-discovery, um, you know, dusting off networks that you haven't talked to in God knows how long, because we all suck at that, right? It's like, 
you know, we meet them, we hang on to them and we move on to new shiny friends, right? When we, when we change roles and do something different. And so starting to figure out what is that brand? Um, you know, how do you want to show up in the marketplace? Where are you going to have a contrarian point of view in terms of your thought leadership and who's going to really lean in and care about those things? Um, and so crafting that message and then being able to have the courage to actually say, my work here is done. And um, she had been a very senior level executive for decades. She had been just like me working all the time. And so once she finally felt like she could leave things in good stead, she unplugged. She went to Europe for the summer. Um, you know, didn't work, didn't interview, didn't do any of those things. And now she's back and, you know, in the hunt for some, you know, some pretty exciting, exciting roles that are going to take place for her next year. Um, and so, and this is a massive pivot, something she's never done before, um, in an area that she is deeply passionate about. Um, so it's, you know, it's work, but it's work that pays off in massive dividends. Can you give us some examples? Um, and maybe I'm not sure if you could share more of her story, but um, of these things that were uncovered that she really did love doing that she could do for most of the day and not grow tired of? Like, <laughs> is there such a thing? Like, can people really do that? What are those things? Um, yeah. yeah. So um, her passion, I can share a few, like, a, you know, kind of what shows up for some people. Um, you know, her passion is really helping um, early stage startups um, get ready for that next round of funding. And get ready for, you know, if you're going public, then you've got a more mature, you've got to really level up the maturity in your organization, um, you know, and, or if you're getting investment dollars for the first time, well, then the owner doesn't actually own the company anymore. So there's a lot of changes that go on there. She loves that stuff. And so advising on that and being able to help them make good decisions to set them up, like that is the stuff that she, you know, can eat for breakfast, lunch and dinner and just never get tired. Um, you know, another client of mine, like their superpower, the thing that they lean into the most, you know, is negotiation. They love it. Like they love conflict. They love drama. They love, you know, getting two people from opposite sides of the fence and getting them to get, you know, either, you know, agree or both be equally dissatisfied. Cause that means everybody, you know, everybody wins. Um, and that's his sweet spot. I'm like, I would hate to do that, but okay, that's good. And then how do you find something that you love to do? Um, you know, so I think in our careers, we have these moments of the things that really light us up and, you know, we do some of that during the day, but we don't do enough of it. And so when you're able to really narrow in on those things and play to your strengths, because when you play to your strengths, you're going to grow a lot faster than if you do what most of us do, which is try and fix the stuff we're not good at. Right. We look at all like, I suck at this and I'm not great at that. And let me work on those. No. Find somebody else who loves that stuff because that's their superpower. Have them do that. And you work on your strengths because you're going to grow both yourself and your organization much faster if you play it that way. Right. Yeah. At what point did you know that you wanted this to be um, this business that you, you have today, like that you wanted it to include other people, that you wanted to bring on other you know, advisors and people in other leadership roles under your... Yeah, you know, under the umbrella, business. right? Um, probably about a, two years ago. Um, I got lonely. <laughs> right. And I always built a peer group of other coaches that were kind of in the same space that I was to hold us accountable and meet every other week and just to kind of get out of that lonely, I'm the only one in my office type situation. Um, but then I realized that, you know, I didn't want this just to be whatever I could do because 
the, the impact that we make for our clients and the ability for our clients to continue to grow and have that level of fulfillment is so significant. I'm like, I can't be the only one doing this. Like there's gotta be, you know, you've gotta have a broader reach. Another reason for the book in terms of that, that reach. And I knew other coaches would be a good option for us to do that. Um, so I made sure that I had set up the infrastructure in place that would allow highly talented coaches to come in on the platform and be able to deliver the same level of epic results. Um, you know, and so from that perspective, you know, we started small, you know, bringing a few people in um, and we're only at seven now. So it's not like we're massive. Um, but we get to that point now where we've got coaches that that get it and are delivering and, and creating the same impact. So that way they can do that. And I can be out helping other people who need to be reached um, and who really are just looking for that path forward. Yeah. Cool. Really cool. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things are coming up for you? Um, like anything time sensitive that we need to know about? Anything that people can partake sure. in? What kind of well, the most important thing is we are closing from December 21st to January 3rd. <laughs> I'm like, we're closed. And the team's like, what do you mean we're closed? I'm like, we're closed. Like, well, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, rest, nap, like have fun. Like, you know, but I promise you everything will still be here. So we are definitely taking a much needed break. It's been a big year for us this year. Um, but then when we get back on the fourth, it is full steam ahead. And so some of the big things that we've got coming up in the first half of 2024 is we've got the book launch that's happening on January 16th. Um, so there'll be lots of hullabaloo about that. We're going to do a nice virtual launch. And so people can, you know, access that, um, from wherever they are. And then there'll be more information coming out after the, um, after we get back from our break on that. Um, we've got an actual, you know, proper launch party that's going on in New York city on April 25th. So that'll be fun. Um, in terms of just getting everybody together. One of the fun things about this book is that we've got about 35 people that have shared their career stories with us as well. And so it's not just me blathering on about all the things. It's, you know, real life stories of people who have struggled, um, you know, to find their way to um, the other side of fulfillment in terms of their career. Some of them are entrepreneurs. Some of them are still in their corporate space. But I think, you know, so those people and sharing their journeys, but great to see them in real life and get them, you know, as they come into the launch party as well. So that'll be fun in April. Um, and then I was talking this morning. So this is still very early days, but it looks like we are going to be doing a um, an escape the career trap summit um and sometime between you know virtual summit um sometime after the initial launch and before our go live so it'll probably be february march where we'll have um you know somewhere between you know four different tracks seven different speakers and really allowing people to lean in on their own time to be able to just level up and you know continue to do what they need you to, to get make 2024 what they want so we got some pretty big and aggressive agenda for the first half of next year. Wow. I am getting a lot of sleep <laughs> between now and then. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Yeah, get rested up for all that. Holy smokes. That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. Well, it's been really lovely getting to know you. You've shared so much wisdom. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I know we've got one question. Um, do you want to tie off on that? I haven't seen that in the chat. Do you see it as well? I don't see it. No. Okay, so, um, uh, so the question is um, from Carla. Hey, Carla. Um, so what's a rule women don't break in the corporate um, that they should, in the corporate world that they should? Um, there's so many. <laughs> there is so many. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I do have a women in leadership program called Own Your Power. And so, again, this could be a whole other episode, Lindsay, right, in terms of that. Um, but one of the things that I think mo a lot of women fall foul of and not intentionally is that 
we hold ourselves to higher standards than we hold our teams. And, you know, so we're out there pushing and we're going hard and people aren't keeping pace, whether it's our peers, you know, our teams, you know, we make excuses for that and we shouldn't. And so I think, you know, having high expectations for yourself is important, but it's okay to have high expectations for others too. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but I think we tend to be way too soft in those areas um, than, than women need to be. So I think that is, uh, you know, I know we're coming up at the end of our time, uh, but that's a, you know, a really quick answer to a very long and interesting question. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for, uh, thanks for addressing that. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much, Carla, for, for asking that question. It's a great one. Wonderful. Well, let's let you get on with your day, Tammy, in beautiful, sunny Mexico City. I'm so jealous. Today, I'm freezing today. We're in a cold snap right now. And, um, and because it's so temperate, typically, the houses don't have heat or air. And so, like, for those two weeks a year where it's stupid hot and stupid cold, you're just cranky. And so, yeah, I've been, like, doubled up in pants and sweatshirts today. I'm, like, been so cold. Um, but the sun will be back out tomorrow. It'll be nice and hot again tomorrow, so that'll be good. But thank you again for hosting tonight. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you and and, you know, looking forward to getting some feedback from your community as well. Hopefully this was helpful. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And yeah, thanks for sharing so many awesome nuggets with the Femprinter community. And congrats on your book. Thank Excited you. to see that coming out in January. And we will link to your website below. And is LinkedIn the best place to connect with you as far as social media? Yeah, absolutely. So we're LinkedIn, YouTube, um, you know, so either one of those. But LinkedIn is where we are most of the time. So that is the best place to find us. Fantastic. All right. Have a great rest of your day, Tammy. Take care. Bye.